Welcome to the Bethel Free Baptist Church Weekly Sermons. This is the evening service of Sunday the 3rd of April 2016, entitled The Tragedy of Poor Visibility. And the Bible reading is taken from Ecclesiastes chapter 6, verses 1 to 12. Here's Pastor Larry T. Curtis. Ecclesiastes chapter 6, verse 1. There is an evil which I have seen under the sun, and it is common among men. A man to whom God hath given riches, wealth, and honor, so that he wanteth nothing for his soul of all that he desireth. Yet God giveth him not power to eat thereof, but a stranger eateth it. This is vanity, and it is an evil disease. If a man beget an hundred children and live many years so that the days of his years be many and his soul be not filled with good, also that he have no burial, I say that an untimely birth is better than he. For he cometh in with vanity and departeth in darkness, and his name shall be covered with darkness. Moreover, he hath not seen the sun, nor known anything. This hath more rest than the other. Yea, though he live a thousand years twice told, yet hath he seen no good. Do not all go to one place? All the labor of man is for his mouth, and yet the appetite is not filled. For what hath the wise more than the fool? What hath the poor that knoweth to walk before the living. Better is the sight of the eyes than the wandering of the desire. This is also vanity and vexation of spirit. That which hath been is named already, and it is known that it is man. Neither may he contend with him that is mightier than he, seeing there be many things that increase vanity. What is man the better? For who knoweth what is good for man in this life, all the days of his vain life which he spendeth as a shadow? For who can tell a man what shall be after him under the sun? Father, we thank you this evening for the privilege of looking into your word once again. Thank you, Lord, for health and strength, for freedom, just to be able to gather together here this evening. Thank you for your spirit that resides within us. We pray, Lord, that through him you might speak to our hearts at this time. For it's in Christ's name we pray. Amen and amen. I meant to look up the, the exact causes. I remember reading, and I remember that it was 1977. Because I happened to be here in England at the time, stationed and serving in the, uh, in the Air Force. So I had a particular interest in airplanes anyway. But I remember that there was a a news flash that came on, and it was actually from the Canary Islands. And it was a phenomenal accident that had taken place there between two aircraft. And when these two aircraft had collided on, on the runway, and I can't remember now, one was taken off, one was landing or something, but there was over 500 people, close to 600 people that were dead uh, as a result of the collision of those two aircraft uh, there on the runway. And of course, as they began to investigate to try to figure out why, it came down really to just poor visibility. They just did not see each other. And one was either taken off or one was landing and the other one was on the runway and they collided and, and, uh, and all these people lost their lives because of 
poor visibility. We pass out a track sometimes when we're in the open air, and most of us have heard the story, read the story, maybe even seen the movie as it's portrayed on the screen. But in April of 1912, when that great ship, the Titanic, that was supposed to be unsinkable, you know, supposed to be the safest ship that had ever, ever been built, and yet, in poor visibility, they struck an iceberg. And as a result of that, over 2,200 people, wasn't it, that lost their lives. And it was because of poor visibility. And I think that there was over 2,000 that were on board. Something like 1,500 of them died and 700 and something survived. And of course, again, it was all the danger was right there. But they didn't see it because the visibility was so poor. So many times when we read and hear of car accidents, so many times that's the reason. Sometimes it's because of maybe bad weather and poor visibility is just a, a part of it. We had a terrible accident back in the late 80s right over on the M6. Our car totaled, the other car totaled. Uh, you know, very, very, very fortunate that no lives were cost in that and and no real serious injuries with the cars being so wiped out. But again, poor visibility was part of the cause because traffic had backed up. A car had stalled in the middle of the motorway, and, and in the poor visibility, you know, the cars were sitting there with no warning lights on and all of this, and in the end, it was a terrible collision. Poor visibility is something that, whether in our natural physical lives or in our spiritual lives... Uh, can often result in terrible tragedy. The stories could go on and on and on, but as we look for just a few moments at this passage in Ecclesiastes, I think that you know part of what the writer is trying to get across to us here is the poor visibility sometimes that we have in this life. Sometimes it may be because we just can't see what's there, but sometimes it's because also that we're looking in the wrong direction. We're not looking where we should be looking. Sometimes it's because that one thing takes our attention when our attention should be on something else. As we look at this passage here, I want you to notice, first of all, in these first couple verses, he's talking about wealth that is accumulated here upon this earth. He said, there is an evil which I have seen under the sun, and it is common among men. This is something that is not something that is unusual, but something that is very common. He says, a man to whom God hath given riches, he recognizes that all things come from God. It's God that has allowed this person, given him riches, wealth, and honor. He says that he's got these things so much in this life that he wanteth nothing for his soul of all that he desires. In other words, you know, whatever he wants, he's able to have. There's nothing that he can look and, and say, well, I'd like to have that, but I just can't afford it right now. He says, no, this man, God has blessed him with such wealth that he doesn't have to not be able to have something that he desires. It's right there. It's right there for him. He says, for his soul, or he wanteth for nothing for his soul of all that he desireth, yet God giveth him not power to eat thereof, but a stranger eateth it. This is vanity. 
and it is an evil disease. I thought of really two ways of looking at these two verses. One is when we have poor visibility to the point that we see riches instead of true wealth. We see the riches of this world instead of what genuine wealth is. Or if you would, if you want to make a rhyme, when you see wealth instead of health. What he's talking about here is one that has all of these riches and all of this stuff that this world can give him that he wants for nothing. And yet, when he leaves this world, he leaves nothing behind. There's not the importance that is there. The riches of this life cannot compare to the wealth that God has for us. We find that if you turn just back probably a page in your Bible to Ecclesiastes chapter 5, the Bible tells us there beginning in verse 10, he says, he that loveth silver shall not be satisfied with silver, nor he that loveth abundance with increase. This is also vanity. When goods increase, they are increased that eat them, and what good is there to the owners thereof, saving the beholding of them with their eyes? The sleep of a laboring man is sweet, whether he eat little or much, but the abundance of the rich will not suffer him to sleep. There is a sore evil which I have seen under the sun, namely, riches kept for the owners thereof to their hurt. But those riches perish by evil travail. He begetteth a son, and there is nothing in his hand. As he came forth of his mother's womb, naked shall he return to go as he came, and shall take nothing of his labor which he may carry away in his hand. So this also is a sore evil. Then in all points as he came, so shall he go. And what profit hath he that hath labored for the wind. All his days also he eateth in darkness, and he hath such sorrow in wrath with his sickness. In other words, all the riches, all the wealth of this world is not something that can bring you peace, can bring you happiness, can bring you true joy. In Proverbs chapter 13, in verse 7, the Bible says, there is that maketh himself rich, yet hath nothing. There is that maketh himself poor, yet hath great riches. There are those in this world that may have just as this one that is being described to us here. He has so much of this world's riches that he doesn't have to want for anything in this world. And yet, he can be a very, very poor man. Because he has no peace. He has no contentment. That's the way the writer, you know, he, he has all this silver and yet he wants more silver. Enough is never enough. We find that in Hebrews chapter 11, verses 24 to 26, the Bible speaks of this one called Moses. He says, by faith, Moses, when he was come to years, refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter choosing rather to suffer affliction with the people of God than to enjoy the pleasures of sin for a season, esteeming the reproach of Christ greater riches than the treasures in Egypt, for he had respect unto the recompense of the reward. 
In other words, look at Moses for an example. He had the opportunity for all of these riches to be laid out there as part of Pharaoh's family. And yet he made a choice. Rather than the riches of this world, he chose the wealth that would come from God. He chose that which God could give him that would last for all of eternity rather than, as he put it, the pleasures of sin for a season. Life is short, no matter at the best. We could look at illustration after illustration of those that have had, just as this one described here, the riches in such numbers that they have not, want, they have not to want for anything physical in this life, and yet they have absolutely nothing. Jesus said this in Matthew chapter 6, verse 20. He says, but lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven, where neither moth nor rust doth corrupt, and where thieves do not break through nor steal. We can build our wealth in heaven, but we can hold on to our riches down here. You see, it's poor visibility they're not really seeing what the genuine wealth is in this world when they're so focused upon the riches that they have in this life and what it's giving to them. Jesus also said in Revelation chapter 3, verse 17, he says, Because thou sayest, I am rich, and increased with goods, and have need of nothing. And knowest not that thou art wretched and miserable and poor and blind and naked. He's talking to the church here. <laughs> that Laodicean church that thought they had everything, but yet they had nothing. He said, I counsel thee to buy of me gold tried in the fire that thou mayest be rich and white raiment that thou mayest be clothed and that the shame of thy nakedness do not appear and anoint thine eyes with eye salve that thou mayest see. Keep in mind, folks, that it's not money that is evil. It is the love of money that is the root of evil. God is the one that gave this man his riches. But when we get focused upon the riches to where we cannot see beyond that to what the true wealth is, then we're not going to be happy people. And that's kind of where he carries on here in these next few verses as we continue to read in Ecclesiastes chapter 6, notice what he goes on to, uh, to say. He says, if a man beget an hundred children, now that's quite a household, isn't it? <laughs> Have a hundred children. And he lives many years so that the days of his years be many. And yet his soul be not filled with good. And also that he have no burial I say that an untimely birth is better than he. Literally, when he's talking about an untimely birth here, he's talking about a stillborn child. He'd been better off to have been born without life in this world. If he's born, and though he may have literally all these, these children and these things, and he might live for many, many, many years, but his soul be not filled with good. And he was that... Also that he have no burial. What are we really going to leave behind? Have you ever been to a funeral where they got up and said, man, 
This guy was a crook. <laughs> I mean, he was the worst guy that you could possibly ever have known in this life. He could never tell the truth. He took everybody for everything that he possibly could. You know, the fact is, that would be the honest about some people that left this world. But nobody says that. They always say all these good things. <laughs> Greatest guy. I mean, such a friend. You never knew anybody like him. Well, you know, that's not all that the writer in Ecclesiastes is saying to us here. Naturally, they're probably going to say some good things about you when you die, regardless of whether you deserve it or not. They can find somebody to say something good about you. But what he's really talking about here is what are you really going to leave behind? Not just what they say at your funeral, but what kind of legacy will you leave? What will be left behind of your life when, when it's gone here? You see, poor visibility. First of all, we said when we see riches instead of wealth, when we see the riches of this life rather than the true wealth that we can have for eternity with the Lord, but also when we see the living instead of the life. <laughs> Folks, I want to tell you something. It's not what we have in this life that is true life. He said, you know, this is all a short time. We, we could read the story of the rich fool. We won't go there. Most of you are very familiar with it anyway. You know, he had this desire that he wanted to, he wanted to be able to inherit the kingdom of God. He wanted to be a good person. But when it came down to the simple thing, well, why don't you sell what you have and, and give it to the poor, give it to somebody else that needs it? He couldn't do that, could he? <laughs> you know, it's the fool, the rich fool that says, I'll pull down my barns and build greater. <laughs> I'll live, eat, drink, and be merry, as the saying goes. We find that in reality, it's a foolish way to live. It's very poor visibility that leads to tragedy. He gets so focused. See, you see, it's not that the rich man needed to buy his way into heaven. He just needed to let go of the things of this world. He needed to want God more than he wanted the things down here. We find that when Lot, we talked this morning about the judgments that fell on Sodom and Gomorrah there. And, of course, the thing was is when Abraham and Lot went to separate themselves, Lot was looking for the best pastures down here. What would bring him the greatest success with all of his cattle and all? And that's all he could see. He wasn't seeing beyond that. He was seeing what he thought would make him a rich man here. He was seeing what he thought would make him a successful man in this life. It didn't matter that that direction that he was looking was taking him in a direction of sin, in a direction of the ungodly, where the God would not be the center of his life. You see, so many times, men that are well-known in this life, men that people maybe look up to, all they see are the people, the multitudes. They're, they're gloating in their popularity, in the reality of what they can be in this life. How many of you have ever read the story of a man called Howard Hughes? <laughs> you know, Howard, Howard Hughes was a man that at one time was recognized as the richest man in the world. Of course, most of his money was made... Uh, through pornography and all of those things that were not a very nice way to do it. But yet, the man became so paranoid and so alone in his last days, he became a, a recluse that wouldn't see anybody or know anybody. 
He died a miserable man. All he saw, all he could visualize was what he could do in this life and what people thought of him here rather than what was beyond. You see, the truth is, the Bible's just trying to say to us here, it's a tragic thing. It's a tragic thing when man sees the riches of this world but doesn't see the wealth that is his in the Lord. It's a tragic thing when the man sees the living down here, what he can have, what he can be in this life, but he doesn't see true life that is his in the Lord. It'd been better, he says, if he'd really never even been born. Notice what he goes on to, to say here. He says, well, what hath the wise more than the fool? What hath the poor that knoweth to walk before the living? Better is the sight of the eyes than the wandering of the desire. This is also vanity and vexation of spirit. That which hath been is named already and is known that it is man. Neither may he contend with him that is mightier than he. Poor visibility. When we see the temporal, the temporal desires instead of the true delight that our Lord has for us. The temporal things that are down here. Sight is better than wandering desires. If we're not careful, we can get caught up in wanting, 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 wanting. The desires are what takes us over. What's, what's the old saying that uh, better to have a, a, a bird in the hand than, than how many? Two, two in the bush. Okay. <laughs> I'm getting so old, I forget the old sayings. Amen. <laughs> better to have a bird in the hand than two in the bush. The truth is, that's kind of what the, the writer is saying to us here. It's better, he says, that which you can see. For that, for what hath the wise more than the fool, what hath the poor that knoweth to walk? Better is the sight of the eyes than the wandering of the desire. Man gets so hung up on what he wants in this life, all of the desires, that he doesn't see what the Lord really has for him. He gets his focus, his poor visibility. You know, he goes on here to talk about, you know, he said, he said there that, what if the wise more than the fool? What if the poor that knoweth to walk before the living? You know, what is it? When you begin to look at men and you begin to compare men, who is it really that's wise and who's the fool? <laughs> who is it that's really poor? Who is it that's really rich? That which hath been is named already, and it is known that it is man. Neither may he be counted with him that is mightier than he you know, the truth is, is history has been said. <laughs> you know, what, what difference are we going to make? And sometimes we can begin to wonder, you know, what difference are we going to make? Well, I'm saying that it's far better, and I believe the writer's saying to us here, it's far better to make a difference for eternity than it is to make a difference down here for what man sees. You know, God is in control. And who is it that we want to control our lives the fool has said in his heart, there is no God. Poor visibility is tragic as we started from the beginning. Poor visibility when we see the riches of this life instead of the wealth that God has for us. 
when we see the living instead of the life that he's offered us, when we see the temporal desires instead of the true delight that we have in him. And then he says here in the last couple verses, he says, seeing there be many things that increase vanity, what is man the better? Or who knoweth what is good for man in this life? All the days of his vain life which he spendeth as a shadow. Who can tell a man what shall be after him under the sun? May I say to you, as we've seen in other ways and in other places before, that it's poor visibility that will always bring tragedy when we see the present, but not the future. We're living for the now, but not for eternity. We can get so focused on today and what's happening right now. It's like the farmer that takes from the soil, but he never puts anything back into it. People just want to take, 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 take what I can have now, give me what I can have now, but not be concerned about what tomorrow holds. You know, the nation of Israel, God had made them a wonderful promise of Canaan, a land flowing with milk and honey. That was their promise that he'd made to them. But when they were in the wilderness, they lost sight of Canaan. They started, you know, they started turning on Moses. Moses, what have you done to us? What have you gotten us into? We were better off when we were slaves back there in Egypt than what we are now. Poor visibility. That's all it was. What about when they sent the spies in to, to spy out the land? What did 10 of them say? They saw the, 10 of them saw the giants, the impossibility. No way could they ever overcome the obstacles to get in there. But two of them saw what God had for them. They saw the milk. They saw the wonder of what God had promised them. You see, that's what the writer is trying to say to us here. It's poor visibility when we get so focused upon right now rather than later. I, I think of that one called Stephen. <laughs> I think of when, you know, this, this man was a man that he was a godly man. He was a godly man that when the church went to choose those that were, that were honorable, that were full of the Holy Spirit, he was one that they chose out of the congregation to put over the business of the Lord of the church there. We find that as they began to bring him up there to throw the stones at him, <laughs> what did Stephen do? <laughs> he looked into heaven. <laughs> he saw Jesus in heaven rather than the stones that they had down here. These stones in this life, there's no doubt that they could take his life. It'd be like us being before a firing squad or something. You know, you know what those bullets are going to do to you. But his eyes were upon Jesus. You remember there? I honestly believe when he looked up there and he saw Jesus standing at the right hand of God. You know, all through Scripture, Jesus is seated at the right hand of God. But boy, when Stephen was facing that down here, he didn't see the problems of the present. He saw the future with the Lord. That's what the writer's warning is get here. Let's not have poor visibility that will lead to tragedy by getting so focused upon today's problems. God has promised us we have a, a tremendous future before us. So let's, let's be like Stephen. Let's look upon Jesus. Let's see Jesus. I like, too, that when Jesus looked at this man called Saul, 
I mean, Saul was a terrible man, wasn't he? I mean, he wasn't just somebody that rejected and didn't believe. He actually went around wanting to destroy, to stamp out Christianity. I probably asked you before, if I haven't, I should have. How many of you would have had the intestinal fortitude to have gone up and witnessed to the apostle when he was still Saul of Tarsus? When he was a guy that was throwing everybody in prison, the guy that was wanting to destroy every Christian that was there, the guy that was trying to give others permission to do it, how many of you would have went up and said, I want to tell you about Jesus, what he can do for you? Uh, most of us, you know, first place, not only would we have been afraid because of the power that he had down here, but the same token, we wouldn't have thought there was any hope for him anyway. We judge a lot of times... Have you, ever, have you ever looked at somebody and thought, man, they would make a tremendous Christian. They'd make such a good Christian. I mean, they're such a nice person and they're always doing And we decide that they're going to be a great Christian. Yet if we look historically, it's some of the people that were the worst people that became the most zealous Christians. The ones that were the worst in this life that realized what they had when they truly had Jesus Christ. I'm saying to you, folks, it's poor visibility. When we get focused, the writer said to us, you know, don't get focused on your problems and on all the, the struggles and all the things. See, we would have all seen Saul as a hopeless case, but Jesus didn't see him that way. <laughs> Jesus saw him for what he could be. Jesus died on the cross for him just like he did every low-down, vile sinner in this world, including me and you. <laughs> Jesus saw something beyond that. We need to do the same thing in this life when we're looking not only at our problems, but at the other people around us. Let's not have such poor visibility. You know, <laughs> the problem is they're acting like sinners. <laughs> they're acting like sinners. I mean, they're sinners and they act like sinners. We want them to act like Christians. Well, there's too many sinners that are acting like Christians. We need genuine Christians that are living like Christ. Poor visibility. We find that, one last statement, you know, even as Jesus was nailed to the cross, it's hard to comprehend. But I mean, this was meant to be the most degrading and painful death that a person could possibly die and as he hooked, stood there, and the Bible gives us the, the picture as, as he was hanging upon that cross of all the crowd around him, they were just mocking him and making fun of him. You know, throwing dice and wanting to, to split his clothes. And, and yet, Jesus hung there. And he said, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. You see, he saw beyond what they were there, even when all their vileness was being directed at him personally. It's not just when we see people that are just mean people that are sinners that need to be saved, but even when we see those people that are our personal persecutors, the ones that are coming at us as Jesus did, can we see beyond what they are today as sinners? You know, I've had people come to you many, 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 many times and say, how can I ever forgive that person for that? How can I ever forgive them when they've done such horrible things to me? 
You know, the simplest way that I know that helps me, I know we're in the flesh and it's not always easy. But look beyond what you see in the flesh. Realize your enemy is Satan. When Jesus looked upon the crowds and he saw them like sheep without a shepherd, he had compassion upon them. You see, my encouragement to you is those that are giving you the worst time, those that are giving the hardest time down here, be like Jesus. See who the real enemy is. They need to be saved. They're doing what sinners do. They're lost and on their way to an eternity in hell. They can be transformed. They can be made new in Jesus Christ. See what they can be in Christ and recognize that it's not them that's your enemy. It's the Satan that is your enemy that has got them and destroying them and trying to get to you through them. See who your real enemy is. Real simple thought really tonight. Poor visibility always leads to tragedy. When we don't see what we need to see, it's tragic. And so as the writer of Ecclesiastes is pointing out, let's not get so hung up on the riches of this life that we don't see the wealth that will be ours in the Lord. Let's not get so hung up on living in this life that we don't see true life that he has for us for all of eternity in heaven. And even here in this life, he's come to give you life. He came that you might live, that you might have that life, and that you might have it more abundantly. Let's not get hung up on seeing the temporal desires of this life instead of what's truly delightful for eternity. Let's not just see the present when we're looking at the problems, when we're looking at the people, when we're looking at our own persecutors. Let's see through the eyes of Christ. Let's see through his eyes because poor visibility will lead to tragedy for us, just like those aircraft that crashed, just like the Titanic when it hit that iceberg, like the many, many accidents that have taken lives all around, poor visibility. Let's open our eyes and get focused on the right thing, and God will bless us for that. Father, Lord, we thank you this evening, and we know, Lord, that as we read this chapter that, Lord, we're told of the vanity of so many of the things that we can get sidetracked on this life and get our eyes focused upon when we're just seeing the wrong things. Help us, Lord, to realize the blessings that we have in you. Help us to realize that it's all from you anyway. But help us to realize, Lord, that the real difference that our life needs to make is not the difference that it makes for us, but what it can make for those around us. You came to give your life that we might live. Help us be willing to do the same thing for those around us. Help us to be willing to spend ourselves. Help us to be willing when we look at others not to see all of their shortcomings and their failings, not to see all the bad things they're doing to others and even to us. Help us to see through the eyes of Christ. Help us to have the compassion that he has. Help us, Lord, to see with his eyes rather than our fleshly eyes. Help us, Lord, and we'll give you all the praise for it. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Amen. 